0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My age, one knows what one is talking about. Que diable! He had delivered himself of all this as immovably as though he had been the mouthpiece of abstract wisdom, but at this point he heightened the effect of detachment by beginning to twirl his thumb slowly. It's evident, parbleu, he continued, for make up your mind as much as you like, even a simple headache or fit of indigestion, un dérangement de stomach is enough to—take me, for instance. I have made my proofs. Eh bien, I, who am speaking to you, once— He drained his glass and returned to his twirling. No— "'No, one does not die of it,' he pronounced finally, and when I found he did not mean to proceed with the personal anecdote I was extremely disappointed, the more so as it was not the sort of story, you know, one could very well press him for. I sat silent, and he too, as if nothing could please him better. Even his thumbs were still now. Suddenly his lips began to move. "'That is so.' he resumed placidly man is born a coward l'homme est poltron it is a difficulty parbleu it would be too easy otherwise but habit habit necessity do you see the eye of others voilà one puts up with it and then the example of others who are no better than yourself and yet make good countenance His voice ceased. "'That young man, you will observe, had none of these inducements, at least at that moment,' I remarked. He raised his eyebrows forgivingly. "'I don't say—I don't say—the young man in question might have had the best dispositions—the best dispositions,' he repeated, wheezing a little." "'I am glad to see you taking a lenient view,' I said. His own feeling in the matter uh, was—uh—hopeful, and—the shuffle of his feet under the table interrupted me. He drew up his heavy eyelids—drew up, I say. No other expression can describe the steady deliberation of the act—and at last was disclosed completely to me— I was confronted by two narrow gray circlets, like two tiny steel rings around the profound blackness of the pupils. The sharp glance, coming from that massive body, gave a notion of extreme efficiency like the razor-edge on a battle-axe. "'Pardon,' he said, punctiliously. His right hand went up, and he swayed forward. "'Allow me.' I contended that one may get on knowing very well that one's courage does not come of itself, ne vient pas tout seul. There's nothing much in that to get upset about. One truth, the more, ought not to make life impossible. But the honour, the honour, monsieur, the honour, that is real, that is. And what life may be worth when... He got on his feet with a ponderous impetuosity, as a startled ox might scramble up from the grass. When the honor is gone, ah, sa, par exemple, I can offer no opinion. I can offer no opinion because, monsieur, I know nothing of it. I had risen, too and, trying to throw infinite politeness into our attitudes, we faced each other mutely, like two china dogs on a mantelpiece. Hang the fellow! He had pricked the bubble. The blight of futility that lies in wait for men's speeches had fallen upon our conversation, and made it a thing of empty sounds. Very well, I said, with a disconcerted smile. But couldn't it reduce itself to not being found out? He made as if to retort readily, but when he spoke he had changed his mind. This, monsieur, is too fine for me. Much above me. I don't think about it. He bowed heavily over his cap, which he held before him by the peak, between thumb and forefinger of his wounded hand. I bowed, too. We bowed together, so we scraped our feet at each other with much ceremony— while a dirty specimen of a waiter looked on critically as though he had paid for the performance. surviture said the Frenchman. Another scrape. "'Monsieur? Monsieur?' The glass door swung behind his burly back. I saw the southerly buster get hold of him and drive him downwind with his hand to his head, his shoulders braced, and the tails of his coat blown hard against his leg." i sat down again alone and discouraged discouraged about jim's case if you wonder that after more than three years it had preserved its actuality you must know that i had seen him only very lately i had come straight from samarang where i had loaded a cargo for sydney an utterly uninteresting bit of business what charlie here would call one of my rational transactions and in samarang i had seen something of jim He was then working for de Jong on my recommendation—water clerk—my representative afloat, as de Jong called him. You can't imagine a mode of life more barren of consolation, less capable of being invested with a spark of glamour, unless it be the business of an insurance canvasser. Little Bob Stanton—Charlie here knew him well—had gone through that experience The same who got drowned afterwards, trying to save a lady's maid in the Sephora disaster. A case of collision on a hasty morning off the Spanish coast, you may remember. All the passengers had been packed tidily into the boats and shoved clear of the ship when Bob sheered alongside again and scrambled back on deck to fetch that girl. How she had been left behind, I can't make out. Anyhow, she had gone completely crazy. Wouldn't leave the ship— held to the rail like grim death. The wrestling match could be seen plainly from the boats, but poor Bob was the shortest chief mate in the merchant service, and the woman stood five feet ten in her shoes and was strong as a horse, I've been told. So it went on, pull devil, pull baker, the wretched girl screaming all the time, and Bob letting out a yell now and then to warn his boat to keep well clear of the ship. One of the hands told me, hiding a smile at the recollection, "'It was for all the world, sir, like a naughty youngster fighting with his mother.' "'The same old chap had said that at the last we could see that Mr. Stanton had given up hauling at the gal, and just stood by looking at her, watchful like. We thought afterwards he must have been reckoning that maybe the rush of water would tear her away from the rail by and by, and give him a show to save her. We daren't come alongside for our life, And after a bit the old ship went down, all of a sudden, with a lurch to starboard. Plop! The suck-in was something awful. We never saw anything alive or dead come up. Poor Bob's spell of shore-life had been one of the complications of a love affair, I believe. He fondly hoped he had done with the sea forever, and made sure he had got hold of all the bliss on earth. But it came to canvassing in the end some cousin of his in Liverpool put up to it. He used to tell us his experiences in that line. He made us laugh till we cried, and not altogether displeased at the effect. Undersized and bearded to the waist like a gnome, he would tiptoe amongst us and say, "'It's all very well for you beggars to laugh, but my immortal soul was shriveled down to the size of a parched pea after a week of that work.' I don't know how Jim's soul accommodated itself to the new conditions of his life. I was kept too busy in getting him something to do that would keep body and soul together. But I am pretty certain his adventurous fancy was suffering all the pangs of starvation. It had certainly nothing to feed upon in its new calling. It was distressing to see him at it, though he tackled it with a stubborn serenity for which I must give him full credit i kept my eye on his shabby plodding with a sort of notion that it was a punishment for the heroics of his fancy an expiation for his craving after more glamour than he could carry he had loved too well to imagine himself a glorious racehorse and now he was condemned to toil with odd honour like a costermonger's donkey he did it very well he shut himself in.